Welcome to the Cold Brew Podcast. It is September 9th. I am Dave Gasper, joined as always by Matt Carroll, and we are the guys at reviewingthebrew.com. We're wrapping up our minor league tour this week. We spent the last three weeks looking at uh, the Brewers minor league affiliates, talking, you know, low A Carolina Mudcats with Greg Young. We talked high A Wisconsin Timber Rattlers with Chris Meering and double A Biloxi Shuckers with Garrett Green in our three previous episodes. So if you haven't gotten a chance to listen to them um, or if you want to learn more about uh, any of those teams, go ahead and check out those episodes previously here on the Cold Brew Podcast. Uh, we're finishing up our fourth week here, our fourth and final week on the minor league tour with a look at the AAA Nashville Sounds. And joining us for this week, who better for our Sounds discussion than Jeff Hem, the play-by-play voice of the Nashville Sounds. Jeff, how's it going, man? Thanks so much for coming on. You bet. It's going great, guys. It's good to talk with you. And uh, one of the things that I remember from the last time the Sounds and Brewers were affiliated, and I've seen it come back now that the Sounds and Brewers are back together this year, is just the strong interest from Brewers fans and writers and podcasters and blogs and websites in the minor leagues. It's not that way, in my opinion, for all the other 29 teams. I, I just think it's really cool the, the, the amount of attention that folks like you like to put on, on the minor league farm system and the interest on Twitter that we see. And um, so I, I, it's just one, one more element that's been fun again this year as the Sounds and Brewers are affiliated. And so to have the chance to talk about the ball club that we've seen down here uh, is, is appreciated. So it's good to be with you guys. Yeah, I mean, it's, it's good to have you and it's good to be back in Nashville. I mean, when, when the Brewers went out to Colorado Springs, uh, it was it was not a fun time out there, uh, not, not for the pitching prospects, not for uh, a lot of guys. So the hitters, I think, had a lot of fun out there, but uh, I don't think the Brewers uh, appreciated it too much. But yeah, they're back. And I, I think a part of it, I mean, Milwaukee and Nashville are just, they just have such a connection, like I, I feel like, and especially with uh, the Predators and and the Milwaukee Admirals, kind of, you know, their farm team, you know, it's kind of a, a cool little little mix having both of those kind of connected. Um, but yeah, the Brewers are back in Nashville after this minor league realignment that happened this last year. And everyone's kind of shuffling around AAA, shuffling around affiliates. And the Brewers ended up back in, in Nashville. When you saw this kind of whole realignment thing coming and, you know, cutting down of other minor league teams and, um, just kind of everything shuffling around and new affiliate agreements, the the PDLs. What, what's been your opinion on how things have kind of shaken out with MLB's takeover of minor league baseball? Well, there are definitely a lot of layers to it. I, I My heart breaks for any markets that lost their team or that were affiliated that are not anymore, just because I know how hard front office staffs at the minor league level work. I know how much the teams mean to their community. So I, I understand where Major League Baseball was coming from in their effort to kind of downsize a little bit, but for, but I did I, I, I did feel for those markets that were a, a victim of that. Uh, but at the AAA level, the realignment I think has been long needed and and really well received. I mean, it's funny for for years I would tell people that the Sounds played in the Pacific Coast League, and unless people didn't know the inner workings of the minor leagues, they'd say, "Wait, now what league is it in again?" And then you have to explain, "Okay, well there used to be three leagues. They dissolved the American Association. They kept the name of the Pacific Coast League, 
And, and, you know, there was this idea that like, well, why don't you just take the sounds and Memphis and move them into the international league from a geographic standpoint? That's kind of what has happened now. Now also Iowa and Omaha and St. Paul are in the AAA East, but the sounds are now playing opponents that for years um, we, we, you could argue we should have been playing all along from a geography standpoint. So I think the new layout Makes a lot of sense. Uh, I mean, we here in Nashville are excited that the Sounds now play a Reds affiliate. There are a lot of Reds fans in Middle Tennessee. Uh, the Sounds still get to play Memphis, a Cardinals affiliate. There's obviously a, a kind of a regional rivalry, so to speak, there with Memphis. Uh, the Sounds get to play a Braves affiliate now with Gwinnett. There are a ton of Atlanta Braves fans in Middle Tennessee. So that part of it has been fun. But then also just getting the, the proximity to Louisville and Indianapolis and Columbus, Ohio, the players have loved it because it's a whole new ball game of shorter travel, easier travel. Uh, whether you had the Mondays off like we do, even if that weren't part of it, you'd still have easier travel. Uh, now the travel is great for the players and their energy level and their health, but you also have a schedule and a layout that makes a lot more sense. So that part of it has been really fun. I, I think it was long needed. Uh, it makes perfect sense, COVID-induced uh, or not. I know that the schedule this year was a little bit unique compared to what it's going to be next year, but it's still going to be largely regionalized um, to what it was this year. So that part of it's been great. And, you know, you mentioned it at the front end, that the Sounds and the Brewers kind of being this great fit. Um, that's been fun, too, that the Sounds and Brewers are back together. That was a meaningful 10 years that the franchises had together Meaningful in a couple of different ways. The teams were really good here in Nashville. And those playoff teams for the Brewers of 2008 and 2011 were built with, you know, almost a, a exclusively homegrown guys in some senses. Guys that had come through Nashville and Sounds fans gravitated to that. They, they, they remember that core of Fielder and Gallardo and Weeks and Braun and Hardy and what those guys went on to do at the major league level. So I think when the Sounds fans this go around heard the Brewers and Sounds are back, there was this connection of like, oh, that's going to be great. We remember the last time and it was 10 years to go. And, you know, obviously some of the player names are very different now. There's a new core, uh, but fans are getting to know that. And then we still have the same familiarity with manager Rick Sweet, hitting coach Al LaBeouf. People remember Jim Henderson pitching for the Sounds. Now he's the pitching coach. So, a lot of the field staff is familiar names, and now it's just a matter of kind of getting to know the new crop of players. And it 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 does feel like a good fit, and it's um, you know it's a it's a good relationship for the front offices together, and it's been a really fun first year of of being back together. So then, tell us a little bit about uh, how the season's gone. I know in the middle of the season we had a big long winning streak down there in uh, Nashville, um, but where are we sitting right now? We were sitting with, as you guys and I were talking a minute ago, record-setting volume of players this year for both <laughs> Milwaukee and the Sounds. So uh, there are some guys who are still here in early September that have have been here, you know, pretty much all season. Guys like Zach Green and uh, some other Dustin Peterson, even though he missed some time with injury, there have been some guys who've been here all year. But in some sense, it's a it's a whole new ball club that's here. Um, they've they've done a lot of winning. I think the fun part is, regardless of what the wins and losses have ebbed and flowed as here at AAA, you look at what the Brewers have done at the major league level, and so many of those guys, whether it was a day, a month, or a few months, 
so many of those guys have played a role down here and have gone up and contributed. I think that's so fun. Uh, that's always going to happen with a AAA team. You're going to have the roster movement, but the season that the Brewers are having the, at the major league level, the success, and to know that Aaron Ashby and Pablo Reyes and Hobie Milner and Tyrone Taylor and Jace Peterson, so many of those guys have played down here in one way or another. So it's really fun to see them contribute. And I know that guys like Rick Sweet and Al LaBeouf and Ned Yost IV, Jim Henderson, our coaches and their manager, take a lot of pride in making sure guys down here are ready for whatever Craig Council and David Stearns are going to need them to do up there, make sure they're ready. So I think in that, in that way, I, I don't know how you couldn't view this as a really successful season in Nashville because so many guys have been able to contribute in Milwaukee in some big spots uh, in various points. And then, um, you know, you always want individually your own ball club to play well. And we've, we've seen a really good brand of baseball with, what this sounds team has been this year, even as the names have changed. I mean, you think about just the different trades that were involved. Cooper Hummel's gone. Peyton Henry's gone. Bowden Francis is gone. And when you lose guys like that, you've got to replace them with something. And so I think it speaks to the depth that the Brewers have had and their ability to go find guys and bring them in from outside the organization, like Matt Lipka in the outfield, or more recently finding David Dahl and, and Colin Ray, um, you've got to have those guys at AAA to kind of withstand the, the up and down of the, the, the volume of transactions you're going to have. And I remember asking, David Stearns made a visit here. Gosh, it's probably been longer than my brain thinks it has been, a couple months ago maybe. And I, I remember asking him, you know, because we had gotten thin at some points on the roster and like anybody else around the big leagues, everybody was dealing with injuries and trying to find guys. And he was saying, hey, it's really hard to go out and find guys because every other team is wanting depth too. And yet they were able to go out and find some of the guys that I just mentioned. And in other cases too, whether it's a waiver claim or a minor league free agent or, you know, acquiring Yandel Gustave and Troy Stokes Jr. from the Pirates and look at what Gustave has done when he's been healthy up there. I mean, there, there's just so many examples when you say how the season has gone, what the Brewers have been able to do and how, how the AAA team sort of tries to find stability in a, in a situation where it's really challenging to do that at AAA sometimes. Yeah, it, it really is. And, you know, Stearns is one of the, one of the best in baseball at somehow, you know, getting depth and he's gotten a lot of depth, especially just kind of stashing at AAA like Colin Ray and David Dahl and Matt Lipka and, you know, all these other guys that he's kind of acquired um, over the past several weeks and months uh, to just kind of fill out that roster, you know, just in case, you know, D strange Gordon was there for a little while turn yeah. on Perez as well, uh, old friend. So, I mean, it, it's been a, a bunch of guys going through. Um, and I mean, you talk about the, the successful season there um, and you guys also like, like, I mean, we've, we've talked about the connection between the two cities. You've got fans back in the stands, you know, we, we didn't have any games last year, uh, what's it been like for you? I mean, just kind of seeing, uh, you know, after what we went through the past like year plus, uh, having fans back in the stands, having having full stadiums. I, I think I remember seeing you guys have full stadiums at least yeah. early on. Yeah. Yeah. We had three games, uh, the first home stand at 40 percent capacity. And then right after that, it was essentially at 100 percent. And the timing of that was interesting back in May, which seems like a decade ago in some ways. But <laughs> 
the, the first weekend of our home schedule was also the weekend when, when we were allowed to have full capacity, just so happened to also be the weekend that Christian Yelich had a rehab assignment here. Um, rehab assignments are not uncommon at AAA, but they don't always involve a former MVP, uh, which can move the needle on, on selling tickets at this level. So I, I just remember talking with Rick Sweet the night after one of those games. I think the Sounds had had a walk-off and a big cr a sellout crowd, which is not uncommon here. And it was the first opportunity for fans to come back. And they responded and they were into the game. And the Sounds had this great win. And Yelich is here. And it was sort of like, all right, this, this is what we had in mind in 2020 that we could not have. It was sort of this like we're back moment. Mm -hmm. And, you know, in June and July, it felt pretty normal. We're still allowed to have 100% capacity, even though we're, we're all well aware that the, the pandemic is not necessarily gone. Um, so far, locally, knock on wood, that has not changed anything as far as what we're allowed to have. But so the crowds have been great. Sounds have led the minor leagues in attendance. Uh, I, think the, I, think it, I think the players really appreciate the fan response here because it is so consistently great with big crowds. And I know they bring it back to, I remember talking with David Stearns about it, just the value that the brewers see in getting that kind of stage for their AAA guys to be on. It's not, it's not a major league stage. And at some point you, you can't, you can't replicate that, but you try to get as close as you can. And when you've got eight, 10,000 people at a AAA game, uh, the players, the players feed off that, and it's somewhat similar to what they're going to see at the major league level in terms of that that atmosphere and kind of that that pressure is not the right word, but just kind of that stage. So I, I think it's been great for everybody. It's certainly great from a front office standpoint and revenue standpoint coming off a lost season, but I I know the players feel it too and appreciate it, and it it matters in their development the kind of situations that they're put in and the, and the volume of eyes that are, that are on them. I think that, I think that matters. And it's one of the reasons I know the brewers are really excited to be back in Nashville. So in that case, let's, uh, let's get into the players. Let's get into uh, some of these guys that we've been, um, you know, seeing down there in Nashville. And I think the first guy that we absolutely have to talk about is Keston Hira. Keston Hira was expected to be a major piece of the Brewers' big league lineup this year. It hasn't really worked out. He's been struggling offensively. He's been sent down a couple of times already. His first two stints with Nashville, he was hitting pretty well. I mean, it, it looked like he had gotten some stuff figured out, um, but um, he's now been sent down a third time. He, he was sent down, and then he was put on the major league COVID list, so he's kind of like brought back up. Um, and he missed like a, a week or two with that. And then now he's been back playing in Nashville for a couple of weeks. Um, so I, I've looked at the numbers. The numbers are kind of ugly in his third stint uh, in Nashville. Six for 58 with 26 strikeouts, a 45% strikeout rate. Uh, has what you've seen kind of backed up the what, what those – numbers are indicating i mean what's been going on with with keston 
Man, it's a great question. And if I, at the end of the day, if I really knew the answer, I would have a different job. I'd, I'd maybe be like a special assistant to David Stearns. Uh, and that's a scary proposition for David, I'm sure to think about. Uh, I mean, yes and no. The numbers are the numbers. You know, a strikeout is a strikeout in some sense. And, 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 and anything I say after this is going to sound like, yeah, but, but, I can think just in the last two games, I, I do remember him striking out looking on a pitch that was um, essentially not in the zone. Uh, mm -hmm. That that happens. Obviously, that can happen to anybody. I'm not saying that, you know, all however many strikeouts you mentioned have been that way. But but I think people need to remember that that, that can play a role. The stat sheet doesn't lie, but at the same time, it never tells you the full story. Uh, he also hit, hit one of the hardest hit balls um, the other night uh, that happened to be caught. And one of the, and I bring that up because hitting coach Al LaBeouf does a great job with these guys. And I've had a lot of conversations with Buffy and he's, he, he shares some great content with me that helps me present a full picture on the air. His big thing is the, the barrel board that he talks about. Did you barrel the ball or not? Uh, yes, at the end of the day, you'd rather be three for four than 0 for four. But if you went 0 for four and you barreled four balls, chances are over time, you will have a good batting average. Uh, they, over time, will fall in. So I, I, I can just tell you, watching Keston, he's on the barrel board a lot. Again, I know fans are going to say, yeah, well, the average is still this or that. I get it, but that is a factor. Um, I also just, and I, you know, and I don't want to try to speak for Keston. I, I just can only imagine there's just a lot going on there this year. I mean, mm -hmm. it's been written about what he's dealt with off the field with his mother. Um, I haven't asked him about that specifically recently. Um, but I, so, I'm, but I'm sure in some level that is still going on in his mind a lot. I don't know what role the position change plays in, in playing some first base uh, and, and then back at second base. I've seen our lineup for tonight. He's, he's back at first. So there's some bouncing around there. Um, so I, it's just, it's really hard to, to say other than there's just, a, there's a lot going on there and I don't know how a player could, could handle all that. And still, I mean, that's what makes these guys great. Their ability to kind of compartmentalize. And I, I, I just think he's in a, he's, in, it's been a tough season in a lot of ways. You know, I don't know what the, what the off season will, will hold if there's any kind of swing change or what, how the Brewers approach that. I'm sure they're having those conversations. Um, so I, I know I'm not really answering your question, probably in the way that fans would like to hear, but it's, it's, a, it's kind of a mystery in a lot of ways. I mean, I, I see the same numbers you guys do. I can tell you he, he works his tail off. He is one of the, the, the best guys on the team. He is a good teammate, um, which, I, again, I think matters. I understand fans at the end of the day want him to be an all-star, and the talent is there. As, as Al LaBeouf would say, guys don't just forget how to hit. It's in there. How to harness it again, I, I don't know. Clearly, there have been extended sample sizes for him at both levels, AAA and the major leagues, where he's done it. So I, I don't know how they get it back to where it was. I just know there are a lot of things going on, but you do see these glimpses. He's, he's not just totally forgotten how to play the game. He's, and, and I think to his credit, especially with some of the things off the field, to still be the teammate he is, to have the work ethic that he does, 
I, it, there's always this feeling for me that it's not that far away from getting discovered again. Uh, and, and hopefully, hopefully it happens. I, you know, um, it's, it's, I mean, who would have thought the Brewers would have the season they've had, they've had at the major league level without a monster year from Christian Yelich and without a lot of contribution from Keston Hira. Uh, that, that's pretty remarkable to do what they've done. Uh, and, and hopefully they can get Keston back to a spot where he's in that mix again, because it's, it's gotta be possible. He's too talented to continue long-term with the numbers that you gave out. Yeah. I mean, it, it felt like we had a lot of the same up here in Milwaukee early in the season where it felt like he was hitting the ball hard. He was getting good exit velocities, but the results just weren't quite there. Um, do you get kind of like a similar sense then it kind of sounds like possibly that's the case um, in this, you know, third stint down there in which, you know, maybe does he, you know, look the same as before, but it's just not quite falling into place. I do. I, I don't, they haven't that I've noticed done any massive overhaul. I mean, I remember that the, the second time when he came down and like other than the last week or two, He's done nothing but hit down here. I mean, that the average that you mentioned, David, has gone is what it is from a really rough stretch more recently. Um, even when he when he first came back that third time, it was like, all right, Keston's back. Here's the bat back in the lineup, and he he looks the same. Um, and the first two times, I mean, he was hitting everything in sight, and it was like, all right, he, there, there's nothing else that he can do down here except go back up and, and try to continue it. And he had those stretches at, the, at that second time. He, you know, he hit the, was it a walk-off homer I think he had and had a big game at one point and um, it was like, all right, he's, he's found it. And then it just didn't take, you know, there's also something to be said that AAA pitchers are really good. Major league pitchers uh, are really, really good. And a lot of them have been at AAA. A lot of AAA guys have been at the big league. Sometimes they're one and the same. But there are some guys at that major league level who are even up a notch from there. So, you know, they, they know how to exploit guys. Uh, but I haven't, I haven't seen anything massively different in his approach or his swing. Um, and uh, Craig Council's talked about it. It's, it's, it's a complicated swing at times with the, the load and that big leg kick. But as Council, I'm paraphrasing, but as he said one time, He's gotten this far with that, so it's kind of a hard thing to say, well, just stop doing that because clearly the guy can hit in that mm -hmm. mode. So I, I, I don't know. I, I, it's a, there are some parts of this that are just kind of a, a mystery to, to guys like us as far as how to correct what, what they've done. Yeah, and I mean, even if the brewers fully understand how to, they're not going to be telling us about it. So we're just kind of left to, to wonder what's really happening um, going on. But yeah, I mean, he's someone that – I mean, it's been, you know, really just, I mean, literally up and down for him and just trying to find some level of success. And um, I mean, finding that position for him going forward, I, I think perhaps, you know, if the designated hitter comes to the National League next year and Keston does not have to worry about also trying to learn a new position at first base and he can just focus on hitting, I think that could lead to uh, some really positive stuff from him where he can just focus on the swing, focus on hitting. Um, and just kind of really limit what he's uh, uh, working on there. And, I, and that could end up leading to, to some better results, I think. Certainly possible. I think there's two sides to that. There's the guys who hate being a DH because they want to feel like they're more connected to the game. 
-hmm. and they like going back and forth and they like the fact that they can contribute defensively if they're having a tough night at the plate or there are guys like you mentioned who it's like all right I, I only need to worry about this let me master this and I'll contribute that way I don't know which way Keston might personally feel about it but you're right there is that possibility that a DH allows for a situation where some offense can get corrected for a guy if if they feel like the defense is is affecting his ability to hit. I don't know how they feel on that, but it's certainly possible. All right, let's uh, let's move on to a little bit happier of a subject. <laughs> um, Bryce Terang, uh, the highest ranked prospect um, that you guys have there. Um, you've got had him for 30 games now. Um, he's hitting 250 on base percentage of 350, so both decent. Um, what have you seen out of um, Terang, who's now been in the organization for a few years here, uh, just making his way up to AAA? Yeah, he's been fun to watch. The, the defense, the consistency on defense, I think for me is what stands out first and foremost. And that's not that the other elements of the game are not impressive too, but um, you, you just you watch him every day over a, a little bit of a stretch and it just stands out. The, the range that he has um, for, for being only 21 and having not played college ball, he, he, he looks like a guy who's been playing shortstop longer than he has just age wise. Like he just looks like a veteran in some sense out there. The reads off the bat. Um, like I said, the range, the quickness, the hands. I mean, he, he's just, and, and then he's got some natural uh, innate ability too. I was talking with the Brewers infield coordinator, Bob Missick about this when he was in town on our last homestand because Terang, we saw it, I saw it a couple of times within his first few games here. A guy would hit a big chopper, like right in front of the plate where then it kicks way up in the air and the shortstop's kind of like waiting for the ball to come down. And Bryce does this little thing, not that he's the only one ever in the world to do it, but he does this little thing where he, right as the ball's about to come down, he does this little jump and then lands right as the ball is landing. And then he's all in one fluid motion, ready to get rid of the ball. It's like this little preparation for the ball to come to him which takes that much less time once he gets the ball to get it on to first base. This little thing, and I saw him do it a couple of times, and I asked Bob Missick about it. He's like, yeah, that's just, that's just God-given. That, that's just the ability to react with your brain and your body telling you to do something without you know, instruction to do it that way. He's just got some natural ability that, that you just can't teach. There are some things, as Bob said, there are some things you can teach a guy to be great but there are other things a guy just has to already have in order to be great. Uh, he's, he's a really impressive young shortstop. And I, I don't, you know, I, who knows? I'm well aware of the, 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 the great shortstops play the Brewers have gotten at the big league level this year. So I'm not like, predicting anything. All I can say is the Brewers don't see a reason to move him from shortstop, just looking at Terang's ability on its own. There's nothing that screams move him from shortstop yet. He he can play that spot. Yeah, and that's certainly uh, great news to see. And, and, I mean, the Brewers have been trying to develop a homegrown shortstop for a while. You know, for a while we thought Orlando Arcia was going to be going to be the guy and he could certainly handle it defensively. I mean, Orlando RC is one of the more, you know, gifted defensive shortstops um, that the Brewers have had in a while, uh, but he just couldn't get it done on offense. Um, then his defense started to sour a little bit as well. But for Terang, um, offensively, I mean, he's made the jump to AAA as a 21-year-old, as you mentioned. Um, very young for his level. He's been young for his level pretty much every single level he's been at. 
I mean, the Brewers have been pretty aggressive with his uh, development, moving him up the ladder, despite being incredibly young. Um, it, does he ever seem like, you know, overmatched at all by, by the level that he's at? Or is he playing like, you know, a triple A AAA veteran, like, you know, 24, 25 year old uh, would be playing at that level? Yeah, I don't, you know, anybody's going to get fooled every now and then on a pitch, but I, there's nothing that that stands out that he's overmatched offensively. I mean, he, the walk rate, and he had a stretch where I don't remember the exact numbers, say it was, you know, a one for 14 type stretch or something small that you might air quote a slump. And, and he was still drawing several walks. Like he's, he, he's finding a way to get on base. And now more recently, he's had several multi-hit games. There's, there's a consistency there um, for a young guy that he's not overmatched. He's, he can put the ball in play. He can draw the walks and know the zone pretty well. Um, and then we see him hit the ball hard too. He's got, he's got one home run uh, and then several others that you can just see, okay, over time, the power will be there too. I don't think the Brewers have any concern there. So offensively, um, I think he's, I think he's done really well. As you mentioned, it's a challenging level. And, you know, there, there's always that, that jump from high to double A, double to triple A, whatever it is, but there is, there is that component of the volume of guys at the triple A level who've got major league time and are just that much more savvy in how they can get you out. If they, if they see something they can try to exploit. And I think Bryce has been pretty consistent in, Getting the ball in play, drawing some walks, the average has started to climb. I, I think I think over time with more repetition at AAA, he's going to be just fine offensively too. Yeah. Now, and, oh, go ahead, Matt. Go ahead. I was just. I know fans uh, have this question, and we all feel like it's early. Um, but is there a world where the Brewers see Bryce Terang next year at the big league level at all? Well, again, you, you, you guys are making me David Stern's special assistant. I like, <laughs> I like this. This is a, a, a job that we all love to, to try to do from the armchair. Um, you know, I, I, I don't know. I'll, I'll, I'll answer it from Terang individually because, again, I, you know, who knows what they want to do with platoons and moving guys. Like I just, All I know is Terang right now, the Brewers feel, is a shortstop. And – what that means with Willie Adamas and what the infield picture looked like, I, I don't know. But I think if I don't with the with how quickly guys can move in today's game, whether it's within the minor leagues or getting to the big leagues, I would never say for anybody, you know, no, they can't be in the big leagues at some point next year. I just there's too much movement. There's too much talent with anybody at this level of AAA that guys can knock on the door and, and make their way to the big leagues or create this situation where a team would have to be like, all right, we, we've got to find a way to get this guy up here. He's just doing too much at AAA for us not to give him a chance. So it's certainly possible. But what that means as far as, you know, you carve out an everyday job or what that looks like, I don't know. You get 40-man roster implications and all that. So that it's, it's hard to predict. But talent-wise, if you can, if, if if I think about what we've already seen from Bryce at AAA, and figure, okay, you know, April, May, let's say he's got a good couple of months next year at AAA, you know, continuing on this path that he's he's done the last month here, you know, why not? A absolutely, I, I just think based on track record for his talent alone, but then just also when guys, you know, have an extended run like that at AAA, especially if they've got his kind of background and pedigree. 
you know, teams will find a way to get get that guy involved at the big league level, even if it's not necessarily all right. We're getting rid of this guy to bring this guy up. Um, you just you find a way to make it work when you've got that kind of talent. Yeah, and he's one of those you know talented shortstops, and yeah, it may just be a question of roster math. You know, do they have the the opening at shortstop and with Adamas under team control for the next like three years. Right. Uh, that may be difficult to find as long as, as Adamas is healthy, but you know, anything can happen. Stranger things uh, certainly have happened, especially uh, with this Brewers team. Uh, I want to switch over now to a different uh, former top prospect. Corey Ray uh, is back in AAA again this year. He had a few opportunities. I think like one or two plate appearances in the big leagues, earlier on in the season, um, but, you know, Ray's still trying to get uh, a rebound and, and try to recapture the uh, prospect status that he had when he was a first-round pick, uh, the fifth overall selection in 2016. What have you seen from uh, Corey Ray this year? He has been great whenever he's been out there. The biggest thing for him this year has been staying healthy. He's had he's had some tough luck. He's had some rough stretches of, of staying on the field. He's um, he's day-to-day right now. He's been dealing with a quad injury that he, he suffered a couple of weeks ago running from first to third uh, on a base hit and suffered a, a quad issue running the bases. So we haven't seen him for a couple of weeks. He's here. He's getting closer. Uh, it sounds like maybe next week when we're in Gwinnett, he can get back out on the field. Um, but he's he's been able to do uh, a progression of things off the uh, you know pregame with our athletic trainer to get back on the field. But whenever he's been out there this year, he's been outstanding. And I've I've asked Rick Sweet about it a few different times, and and Rick knows Corey well. He's had him at AAA multiple times now, and and Rick would tell you guys the same thing he told me. It's the most consistent that Rick Sweet has ever seen. Corey Ray. I think, I think some things have clicked this year for Corey and it's too bad that he hasn't been out on the field as much from the health standpoint, because I I really think some things have clicked and I've talked with him about it. And he's mentioned the value that the alternate site gave him last year because, and, and I know other guys have talked about it too, but, but you think about it, the hitter every day last year at the alternate site is facing the same guys and he's facing guys who know him really well. I mean, they're his teammates. They, they, they know the weaknesses. And Corey, is, he was talking about David Freitas, who was in the organization at that time last year, one of the catchers. He's like, I would tell David every day, he's like, I would tell you how much I hate you, but how much I appreciate you. Because, you know, they knew how to call pitches to try to get Corey out. But it over time made Corey get better offensively because – they, you know, they, they knew how to get him out. And so he, he really was a guy that feels it was, a, you know, it was a, a, a tough way to get better last year. But it, over time, he realized how much it did help him last year at the alternate site. Um, so he's, he's in a really good spot mentally. And when he's been healthy, he's been consistent, showing some power, great in the outfield. I mean, he's just been He's been really fun to watch when he's been out there. I, 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 my heart breaks for him that he's he's had the injury issues this year because he has been so consistent. Both Al LaBeouf and Rick Sweet have just raved about how it's clicked for him. He's really learned how to look for his pitch and, and minimize the swing and miss. And as Corey told me, he's like, I'm 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 done trying to be perfect. Uh, I'm I'm in a better spot. Uh, at the plate mentally and how I'm approaching what the pitcher is going to try to do to me and what I'm trying to do to him. So 
he's been fun to watch and hopefully he'll be back out there maybe next week, which would leave then a couple of weeks where he could get some games again and uh, try to finish with something. You know, there've been outfield transactions this year at times for the Brewers when Corey Ray has not been one of the guys that they could have called up because he's been hurt. Uh, that can't be fun to to be part of for him either. You know, when you're sitting there and you're seeing other guys go up and get some opportunities. So hopefully he's back out there soon because, like I said, he's been really consistent. That's the big word that, that Rick Sweet has used a lot about Corey this year. Yeah, and hopefully that would be something to build upon. I mean, career high OPS at 825 right now. So you're right when he's playing, he is uh, doing pretty well. One thing I've been, I guess, a little bit surprised about um, – is that he hasn't been tapping into those stolen bases, uh, only two attempts this year, didn't really have many in 2019 when he was kind of uh, going through injuries too. But in 2018, he was three homers away from a 30-30 season. Um, has, you know, the uh, lack of attempts on the base paths been a little bit by design, you know, maybe in coming back from injuries and not wanting to aggravate anything? Probably some of that, I would think. Um, this is not a big base stealing team in general. I, you know, uh, Matt Lipka's got a good quantity now, uh, and that's come on a, a lot more recently. So I, I don't know specifically with Corey. I don't know that they put a red light on him uh, when he's been on base. Uh, you know, so much situational sometimes too. Uh, whether you can go or not, or what the scoreboard is, or who's up after you, and things like that. So. Um, the athleticism is still there. Like I said, I, I you know, I, I would, I don't see any reason why he couldn't be a base dealer again when he's, when he's fully healthy, just because the, even if the quantity this year has been, has been down, I think the bigger thing for him has just been getting out there and staying healthy and, and the consistency and the quality of the at bats. Um, and then, and getting on base is only going to lead to more opportunities to steal some down the road. Yeah, and um, I mean, when it, you say it's not a big stolen bases team, I, I think you should just wait until next year when David Hamilton comes up to AAA. Uh, <laughs> that's going to change rather <laughs> rapidly. That because I, I don't know if you've talked to Garrett Green at all um, or Chris Maring about him, but uh, that dude has 80 grade speed and he will steal a lot of bases. Oh, well, good. I'm all, I have, I have no problem with that. I think the minor league rule differences too at different levels has been interesting this year in terms of uh, some levels where you're, you can't pick off more than mm -hmm. a couple of times and situation. I mean, I know stolen bases at certain levels are just through the roof right now. Uh, and I love the stolen base. I think, you know, it's exciting. I love when there's speed on a team and um, it's, it's been fun here when, when we have seen guys like Matt Lipka get to do some running um, and, uh, it'll be interesting at just at the minor league le level in general next year, what, you know, do they, what happens with shifting, what happens with a DH, what happens with things like pickoffs and, and MLB likes to use the minor leagues as kind of a testing ground. Uh, we had for the first half of the season here at triple eight, slightly larger bases. And in the mm. second half back to the old base, one was a player safety thing, but two is they were like, well, let's see if this increases still on a base volume. And I remember asking D strange Gordon about, it. he just laughed. He's like, no, this larger base, first of all, you can barely tell it's larger. He's like, that's not going to have anything to do with anything. Uh, and he sort of felt like a dinosaur in the game because there aren't a lot of base stealers anymore, but the, 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 the rules, I think it's double a right where they can't pick off more than a couple of times. Um, and, and that is seeing stolen bases through the roof. So, 
we'll see if anything translates to the AAA level next year. But I'm all for I'm all for David Hamilton coming here and doing some running. That'll be fun to watch. Yeah, I think Greg Young was saying uh, they had that in uh, low A as well. That, that's where they've had like the limited pickoff thing, and they've had so many stolen bases. Like it's been the complete yes. opposite in, in Carolina. Um, I remember so. when I was talking catching with Charlie Green, the catching coordinator for the Brewers. Uh, he he was you know being a catcher. He's like he hates it, of course, because right. catchers have no chance to throw out a guy when the, the everybody in the ballpark can know the guy can go because the pitcher can't even throw over there. So, right. uh, like I said, it'll be interesting to see what what tweaks get made at different levels of the minors next year and what, if anything, ever translates up to the major league level. You know, we used to see the guy at second base and extra innings here long before it was at the major league level. Same with the three batter minimum. So some things they like and they take to the major league level. Other things they do just to get some data and then – you know, scrap it or keep it only at the minor league level. And speaking of uh, catchers not liking stolen bases, Mario Feliciano. Uh, let's let's talk about him for a moment. Um, I know he missed a lot of time due to injury. Uh, it's it's Matt's uh, one of Matt's favorite uh, prospects. So just gonna just gonna let you know there. Uh, but Mario Feliciano, uh, I, I know he missed some time with that shoulder injury, but he's been back for a little bit. What have you seen from Feliciano this year? Again, the thing with him is just being able to be out there. He, um, he dealt with a shoulder issue early in the year that then sent him out for a while. And then the same series a few weeks ago in Memphis when Corey Ray suffered the quad injury, Feliciano got, got nicked with a foul tip on the right shoulder, the same mm-hmm. one that had bothered him already in the year. So it became sore and he was shut down for a little bit of time. And now he's back. I, you know, I, almost like a copy and paste answer for Corey Ray. When Feliciano's been out there, he's been he's been fun to watch. His his bat is really coming along more recently here. Um, you know, trying to make up for some lost time. And you know, think about I think to, to Matt liking Feliciano. I think the Brewers like him too. I don't think you 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 feel like you can trade a guy like Peyton Henry to the Marlins to get John Curtis without feeling like okay, if we t- if we deal this guy. Who do we still have? And and I think that bodes well for how they feel about Feliciano. He's only 22 years old. Um, the big thing talking, it's it's nice to have a manager in Rick Sweet who's a former big league catcher. He always is willing to talk catching. And he said the biggest thing for Feliciano that they've been working with him on this year is just his pitch calling. Um, given that you've kind of got to call a different game at times at AAA than what you do at high A, which is where Feliciano had left off uh, two years ago before there was no season a year ago. So I think the pitch framing and the pitch calling has been where they've been working with him a lot this year. I think that he's got the bat. He can throw guys out. He's got a great arm. And with the shoulders healthy, he shows that ability. Uh, The the tools are there, and he's, he's pretty fun to watch. It's nice to see the offense coming along here for him late in the year he's only played I think 25 or 26 games here total because that shoulder did have him miss so much time but uh really really bright future for for Feliciano yeah I did actually want to ask um about your opinion on him defensively um because as kind of he and Peyton Henry were coming up early in the organization it was you know you had the offensive catcher in Feliciano and the defensive catcher in Peyton Henry or so they were kind of viewed for a little bit um, but word was that Feliciano did do a lot of that work with Green and pretty greatly improved his defensive stock, which may be why, you know, he became more well-rounded and eventually added to the Brewers 40-man 
this last off season. Um, outside of the pitch calling, what have you noticed out of him as a defensive catcher? Yeah, he's he's impressive. Again, it's it's you know he's on a pretty small sample size still as far as how many games we've actually gotten to see him this year. But I mean, I, I think he's for tw- for 22 first time at at Triple A and and no chance last year to play you know relatively every day as catchers would uh, somewhere. I mean, he's. He's got all the talent. I, I don't. I don't think there's any kind of glaring weakness, so to speak, in the game where it's like, well, they've got to get this correct. And I just think it's overall more reps, more time at this level, more working with pitchers who've been at the big league level and and understanding what they want to do, and just that time over the course of a season to build up that rapport with the pitchers, especially at AAA, you get so many new guys who come in from the outside, and then you're quickly trying to get to know them as a young catcher and what they like to do. So, I, you know, I think overall defensively, he's, he's in a good spot in all, in all facets of that. And um, the ability to be healthy. In fact, Rick Sweet said the other day that they could play him more games right now if they wanted to, but there's some sense, there's some, there are some days where they're not playing him in a game so they can then do more drill work and get more things done with him off the field that has, equal benefit in a sense to playing in the game that night. So they're in this balance of like, well, let's continue to manage the shoulder. Let's get him the at-bats and the time in games. Obviously there's value in that, but if they don't have him in the lineup on a given night, they might be able to catch a bullpen for somebody or might be able to work on some throwing drills to keep the shoulder in good shape. So there's, there's by design a plan in place for him to really maximize these final few weeks. Yeah. And I think that's going to be, uh, key because I mean he's someone that uh, could be big league ready um, I mean he was obviously called up you know for a very short stint earlier this year um, but with Manny Pena becoming a free agent this offseason the backup role behind Omar Narvaez could be open for next year um, and I don't know if they're going to want to call Feliciano up to be a backup but that there are going to be some big league opportunities I think next year and they want to see if if Feliciano is ready do you think he'd be ready by opening day 2022 yeah I I would think so I mean I, I don't know what they'll I don't know what the fall looks like you know sometimes the Arizona Fall League or instructional mm-hmm. leagues in normal years can be chances for guys to get additional time especially if they've missed some time due to injury I don't I don't know what that looks like this year I don't know what winter ball looks like for guys so there's a lot that can happen over the next several months, especially for a guy like Feliciano, who's missed a decent amount of time. But, um, you know, it it was a very brief call up for him, obviously, this year, and it was out of necessity. But still, I don't think you do that if you feel like the guy's just going to be out over his skis. So um, with more time for Feliciano, another big league camp and staying healthy and having a good fall and winter, um, I think he would be in a really good spot going into next year. Yeah. And he did draw a walk in that one plate appearance and scored the winning run on a walk yes, off. Did. So, you know, there, there's a good sign right there. All right, let, let's flip over to the pitching now. Talk about some of these pitchers. Uh, Matt, I'm going to get let you go first on this one because I know you've got uh, some questions on a certain player <laughs> that you want to get off your chest. Oh, who could that player be? All I right. wonder. Hmm. Luke Barker, uh, a guy that, you know, some Brewers fans who are prospect watchers, you know, have loved for a couple of years, 
just never quite seems to get that shot, even though he has looked fantastic as a minor leaguer in the Brewers organization for a while. Um, what have you seen out of him and why on earth can we not get him up here in Milwaukee outside of the crazy amount of obviously depth we have uh, just like we do some other positions. Yeah. I mean, there, there, some of that is just, it's depth. It's 40 man roster implications. It's, you know, you got to dangle somebody on waivers that you may not want to. Sometimes there are very practical reasons where it's just, it's hard for a guy to get a break if he's not already on the 40 man roster. So there's, there's that component, um, you know, but, but Barker is, is fun to watch. He is so consistent. Um, he is a, I mean, it's everybody, it's easy to drop like baseball phrases. I always a strike thrower. He is a strike thrower, man. You, you, he's just, you know what you're going to get from him. And it's this, there's just nothing, there's nothing necessarily flashy. He's, he's low nineties, but he's got this great splitter and an occasional cutter and guys just don't, they don't hit him. Uh, and it's, it's really fun to watch. He's got an amazing story and, you know, I just had him on my pregame show yesterday. So some of this is fresh in my mind, but he's, you know, he looks at guys like Justin Topa and Jake Cousins, and I think he's kind of in that group of, hey, this is a good find by the Brewers to have gone the route that they did to find a guy. And, um, you know, he's 30 years old. So, yeah, there's no prospect label on him. But to your point, the guy's produced. And, you know, at some point, you know, oh, this guy was a first-rounder or this guy's a so-called prospect. At some point, at AAA especially – that stops mattering. And it's just like, all right, who's the, who's the best guy for what we need in this spot. And I know Barker has put himself into those conversations this year with the Brewers, why it actually hasn't happened. Great question. I don't know. Like I said, there are a lot of factors that go in. It's not quite as simple as let's just bring him up because that does mean somebody else in some sense or another then goes uh, in a relative term. But He's fun to watch. I, all I, I remember in 2012 when Jim Henderson was the sounds closer, had a one-something ERA, and he was kind of a similarity to, to what Barker is now, older guy, not a prospect. And I remember somebody, talking about Brewer's Twitter, somebody tweeted, hey, do you think he can hang up here? And my response was, yes, I do personally, but there's only one way to find out. And that, that stands as the answer for Barker. It stands for just about anybody else. I think anybody at AAA can play big league ball. It's just a matter of the opportunity. And there's a lot that goes into when or if or how you get that opportunity. But there's only one way to find out ultimately, yes or no, whether Luke Barker can get big league hitters out. Um, he wouldn't be the first guy in big league history to not throw 98-99 but still get guys out. So – yeah, there, he's not a flamethrower, but, you know, so a lot of guys are not flamethrowers. Brent no Suter team. can have success. Anyone yeah, can. <laughs> yeah, no doubt. I mean, it, sometimes it feels like everybody at the big league level is a flamethrower because there are so many guys who are. But um, so it's, it's a great question. I, I, I personally just I hope that he gets a shot at some point, just like I do for any of our guys. I mean, it's hard not to be around them this much and see the work they put in and not root for all of them. Uh, but then when you factor in Barker's story, and as he told me yesterday, he's like, there were days years ago I never thought I'd even get a day in affiliated ball, much less mm -hmm. become a really good AAA pitcher knocking on the door of the big leagues. So he's he knows how improbable his story is, 
But um, you know, the Brewers have proven with with Cousins or Topa or whomever, uh, if you can get it done sooner or later, you usually get the chance, and and hopefully that'll happen at some point for Luke because I I do think he's got the mindset and the consistency to get big league hitters out. And I don't think he'd be any, anybody's going to have nerves in a major league debut, but I don't think he would be, he's been waiting for that chance so long. I, I, I just see him as a guy who would have the ice water in the veins to get it done because it's like, all right, this is what I've told people I can do. If I get that chance, I've got to show that I can do it. So I, I hope it happens because, uh, and trust me, he's also very well aware of the free Luke Barker hashtag. He's, yeah. uh, yes. he, he's aware. He is aware. He, he told me, like I said, I just talked to him yesterday. He said, uh, he said, my, he's like, my family's all over it. Um, I try not to think about that too much, but I'm not going to tell them to stop either. So he's, uh, <laughs> anybody who's rooting for the free Luke Barker, it's appreciated by Luke Barker. Let's put it that way. You hear that, Matt? Right. We're a full, uh, you're a full go there. Yeah, yes. we are. I, we are big I will drivers. Not slow down. Yeah, we are big okay. drivers of the hashtag Free Luke Barker. So, yeah, big big, big fans. Got for we got to get him on the pod for in the offseason. Yeah. For me, it's the fact that he's. It, this has been going on for months that he's pitched this way, and he pitched this way in Double mm-hmm. A AA and Triple A in 2019. It, you know, it's not. Oh, he's had a hot week at Triple A. Let's get him up. I mean, he's yeah. proven at this level that he can hang. And like I said in the Jim Henderson comp years ago, it was like, well, there's only one way really to find out. If some guys get that chance, some guys never do. There's only so many jobs up there that the, any team, you know, there's only so many roster spots. Not everybody can get a shot. And it's not always fair, but that's just the reality. Uh, but if a guy proves it for long enough, you'd like to think sooner or later he's, he's going to get a chance. Yeah, and he should. And I mean, Brewers Twitter has done this before. We had the free Nate Orff campaign a couple of years ago <laughs> uh, when they were in, in uh, Colorado Springs. And we essentially bullied uh, the team on Twitter into calling him up. Like it was um, it, it was about time. So we, we got to get this movement to grow and essentially bully the Brewers into into calling up uh, Luke Barker. So good to know that, that he's a uh, he's aware of the movement and and obviously a big fan of it. So. Uh, but you mentioned uh, previously, you know, the, uh, you know, jitters possibly for a, a major league debut. One of the guys that probably did is uh, Aaron Ashby, uh, who started the season with you guys and has uh, been there a bunch. His big league debut did not go well. Two thirds of an inning, seven runs. It, it really kind of all went super fast on him. Since then, he's been fantastic. Uh, but you got to see him uh, before you got to see him earlier in the season. Uh, what did you see from Ashby uh, first as, as a starter, and then you guys moved him into a reliever role to prepare for what he's doing at the big leagues now? Uh, so, what have you seen from from Ashby this year? Impressive, impressive. He's electric stuff. I mean, you guys are seeing it up there now. He, you know, that, this is why baseball people talk about sample sizes because he, you just can't base it all off how that major league debut went. There was a lot going on there. And that was a that was a big stage that he was put on in that major league debut to make that start against that Cubs team in that situation. That was that was a lot. And, um, you know, you just knew over time he'd get more opportunities and he would he would eventually shine. Um, You know, he's he's a really good young kid, too. He wants to do what it takes to try to be great. He's a good teammate. He wants to put in the work. He wants to learn. Um, he was, he was trying to be a sponge in that stretch where he was moved to the bullpen down here. 
whether it was with pitching coach Jim Henderson. But the other thing that happens a lot at AAA, and I'm sure at the big league level too, but um, a lot of you know teammates can learn a lot from each other. And I know that I know that Ashby learned a lot in conversations with guys like Eric Yardley and Hobie Milner. Uh, you don't always have to have the same type of arm angle or stuff to learn from other guys. And he was just, he was a sponge. He was talking to anybody. He was trying to find his new routine as a reliever. Um, you, you know, he knew it was a new situation and he was like, okay, if this is what they're putting me in. How can I make this be as great as it can be? Uh, I mean, the stuff is just, is electric. I mean, the, it, Rick Sweet has talked a lot about Ashby and how he feels about Aaron in, in that potential of a Burns and Woodruff type type ability to get big league hitters out and be a starter at the major league level for a long time. I mean, like we said earlier with other guys, who knows what the offseason brings and what, you know, April and March of 2022 looked like. But can you imagine the, the Peralta, Burns, Woodruff trio and then adding Ashby and, and what he can be? As a fourth guy, I mean, come on, that's just unfair for the other team's <laughs> offense. Yeah, yeah. And, and sorry, uh, speaking of, I think that's exactly how uh, Brewers fans envision it is uh, Ashby jumping, you know, right up into that rotation, even though he's, um, you know, been uh, kind of trained a little bit as a reliever, mostly out of necessity for this year's Brewers team. We're we're comfortable in believing that as Brewers fans, correct? That this is a, a starter long-term for sure in Ashby? I, I can't see why not. I can't. I, yeah. I, I, I've heard nothing this year or seen nothing to lead me to believe that 2021 is not necessarily how they're going to have him long-term. I don't, I don't know how you could have that thought right now with that ability and the number of different pitches he has and a proven track record of being a starter – uh, and doing well now in a couple of starts up there. Uh, yeah, I mean, again, now puzzle pieces have to fit. They've got a really good five-man and six-man rotation up there. So, again, I'm just kind of individualizing it off the ability of the player, not not necessarily, you know, making transactions on their behalf toward next year. But, yeah, I, I, don't, I don't see how he couldn't be thought of as a starter long-term. Yeah, and, and I mean, you mentioned the uh, the rotation. I mean, all the talent up in Milwaukee, and how Ashby could end up being a number four starter when he'd be much higher on uh, other teams' uh, rotations. Uh, that could also potentially leave Ethan Small as a number five starter, which is also insane. Um, and you've had Small uh, for a while. He had a few starts down in uh, Biloxi, in, down in his home state of Mississippi. Garrett Green was very upset. Uh, when we told him that he was getting promoted. It was very sad to see it. Uh, but now you've had a uh, small for a little while. I know he missed some time with that finger strain. Um, but, I mean, he's been back for a little bit. What have you seen from Ethan Small in his time with the Sounds? It's funny. First of all, you mentioned Garrett. Yeah, that is that, is that kind of that, 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 that joking component of like, oh, you're taking one of our guys, and then, you know, we'll get a guy like, you know, Aaron Ashby, of course, the Brewers are going to do what they need to do, but it's sort of you're, you're you know, mm. kidding when you're like, well, come on now. You're taking our best guy down here. Like, let, you know, let us have some fun here at AAA. Yeah. Like, we gave him Garrett Mitchell. He was fine with it, I think. Yeah, exactly. Right. Uh, but it's just one of those fun things that, that you, you do when you know that guys are going to get called up and you're, of course, excited for them. But um, Ethan Small has been, been fun to watch, too. I mean, it's just you, you see these guys – 
and it doesn't take long to see the tools with, you know, with any of them, the guys we've talked about, Tarang, Feliciano, I mean, they, Ashby, they just, they, they stand out and there's kind of an effortlessness about it at times and how they go about their business. I think the biggest thing late in the year for here for Ethan is just, and first of all, it's great that he's back on the mound. I mean, when he had that, that finger tendonitis in July, they didn't know if he'd pitch again this year. And so just the fact that he's getting this time late in the year, um, to, to be here and to get innings and to build up um, is, is huge going into next year. Um, who knows what level it'll be at, but just the, the, the getting the repetition this late in the season and, and getting the innings. I mean, I think, again, we're all kind of in the backdrop still of 2020 was a zero for a lot of guys. Yeah, they might have gotten a repetition and workout. And like I said with Corey Ray, there was value in the alternate site. But a lot of guys are jumping levels and a lot of guys are making big leaps here in 2021 level-wise from where they might have left off in 2019. Aaron Ashby finished 19 at high A, didn't pitch an inning at double A, jumps here. Now he's in the big leagues. So guys can handle it, but it, it doesn't mean it's always going to be seamless. So I think any given the time that Small missed and the fact that he's able to get back out on the mound and, and finish – with, with some more innings this year is, is great in all kinds of different ways for his development individually and just for the Brewers to get a little bit better idea of where maybe they feel they can map him out going into 2022 and what that might look like. Um, I asked Garrett a little bit about this last week. Um, small, for I guess lack of a better term, based off of his alma mater, has a reputation of being a bit of a bulldog on the mound there. Um, is that exactly what you've seen? And has that been fun to watch? Yeah, he's, he kind of reminds me of, of um, Bowden Francis in a way too, when he was here um, kind of, I, I mean, it's, it's weird to say like kind of a quiet guy because no one's like out there, you know, talking necessarily on the mound, but there's just kind of this, like um, this, this, this calm about, small this competitiveness but just sort of like this is this is no big deal I'm going to go attack this is my game this is what I do um you know you just he just kind of bears down and goes out about it and and you know you look up and you're like wow he's retired eight in a row or he's retired nine in a row and he's just kind of on cruise control this effortlessness that these guys are able to have is impressive and that, that Ethan has that too where there's the, the kind of a quiet intensity about him that you just know he's he's locked in and he's going to go do it. And we'll see him again here in a couple of days on the mound. And he's been ramping up the pitch count. So it's it's nice to see him get closer and closer to this. Okay, this is a normal start rather than this is, well, this is my pitch count for tonight. I'm still kind of coming back almost like a rehab assignment. So we're, we're closer to that point where it's like, this is just supposed to be a normal outing again for Ethan. And I'm sure... He's looking forward to that. I remember talking about that with Dylan File, too, when he was finally like, all right, now I get to go six innings and I can just be mad that I gave up a hit to this guy instead of thinking, like, how's my arm feeling because I'm on a rehab? The, menta the mental shift that guys can get to post-injury, whatever it is. And I think we're close with that on Ethan, too. Yeah, and you mentioned uh, one, of, one of the guys I want to talk about next, Dylan File. Uh, him and Alec Bettinger, they were both added to the – 40-man roster last year. Bettinger, we've seen in the big leagues a little bit. Uh, he's been called up for some spot starts, uh, some, you know, bullpen, you know, if they need an extra arm type of guy. 
Now, File obviously had that injury earlier in the season and, and has been working his way back. Uh, but what have you seen from those two guys uh, down there in, in Nashville this year? Do, do, you, do you see them as potential big league rotation pieces going forward, or do you see them more as uh, bullpen guys? Yeah, I do. I, you know, I'm, I'm no pitching coach or scout, but I, I do. I think there's a consistency to those guys. I think they, they're, they're in the strike zone a lot. The command is there. And for me, that's, you know, that's, again, I'm not an expert, but for me, that's kind of the telling sign. Can he be in the zone enough to, to get ahead and to stay ahead and to get guys out and to, to pitch to contact. And, and I think both of those guys, can do that they have they have good fastballs they don't have upper 90s fastballs but they've got the secondary stuff they've got the consistency they've got the repetition in their delivery there's nothing kind of eccentric about their windup where you would think well that's hard to repeat over time for six innings um yeah i i, I do i think they've got they've got good off-speed pitches um uh, they both have really good stuff i think I think Bettinger has been well served down here this year when he's been able to be in the rotation for a while. Of course, the big league team is going to do what they need to do. I'm not saying they shouldn't have called him up, but I think just the the consistency of, okay, I'm in the rotation. I'm making start after start after start. That's when we've seen Alec at his best. And then when a guy goes up and he doesn't necessarily pitch a lot or pitch at all, well, then when he comes down, okay, he's only going to go a few innings in that first start because he's got to kind of build it back up. So when there's been consistency, then we've seen we've seen when there's been consistency in his schedule, we've seen the consistency translate out on the mound. Um, and I think file the biggest thing is just being healthy again. I, I don't he's probably not doing anything necessarily this year. Uh, big picture that, that he was doing in 2019. He's just able to be on the mound and be healthy and and go pitch and and show what he can do. But they're in the zone a lot and they're consistent in what they do. And to me, that spells a good recipe for staying in a rotation. Um, I do want to check in on one non quote unquote prospect in uh, Josh Lindblom who started off on the roster with the Brewers eventually um, just with all the roster turnover um, got DFA'd, but elected to stay with the organization, um, which is great. Um, he's been doing overall pretty well down there. So um, I guess for one, you know, how has he looked in your eyes and two, what has it been like to have a veteran like Lindblom down there? Um, a guy who by everything we've heard um, is a really good teammate to have around. So what's that been like having someone like him there on a triple-A roster? Friend of the podcast, by the way. Friend yes. of the podcast, Josh Lindblom. Oh, good. Oh, he's yeah. great. Josh is great, man. You're, you're right. He is a tremendous human being, a great teammate. Um, you know, he's one of those guys, and triple-A and gets labeled sometimes as, well, that's where all the bitter guys are because they're not in the big leagues. And some guys might feel that way at times internally. But almost every AAA team I've ever been around has been filled with good guys who, who just they put in the work. Of course, they want to be in the big leagues, but they're they're not sulking. They're having fun. They're doing what they love. They're trying to work their way to get back to the big leagues. And, and Josh is just you, you wouldn't know that like, oh, that that guy had a chance up there and got sent down. He just he's the same every day. He's consistent on the mound. Um, he, he has been something of a, of a team leader. Again, he wants to get back to the big leagues, I'm sure, like anybody else. But while he's here, 
he's he's in the moment and and being a good guy to be around and helpful. I'm sure I hope the young pitchers are watching him work because they can pick up on some things. I know Jim Henderson has brought that up to guys of hey, I'll keep an eye on how he works on this hitter or how he does this or that. He's been an example in that respect. And you know, it's kind of a Luke Barker situation, I guess. There, you know, there's always multiple factors in why a guy may not get back up there. First of all, the Brewers have been a really good team with their starting rotation, and they've had a six-man rotation at times. And when they've lost a Peralta or an Anderson or something like that, they can go down to five and not like they were at five and they go down to four. Okay, who's our fifth? They've had rotation depth. So that's probably played a role in why Lindblom has been down here and then the 40-man roster implication too. But uh, he's, he's been great down here and consistent. Uh, you, you know what you're going to get. He's, he's going to throw strikes. He knows how to set guys up. He'll throw any of his pitches at any point. And he's, he's been he's, – I know he was frustrated from his big league time this year in that he wasn't showing that command – because as he would say, he has always thought of himself and been kind of branded as a strike thrower. We've seen that down here. Now it's just, does he get a chance at some point to show that again up at the big league level? But I don't think there's anything else he could do down here to, to help enhance that. I think it's just a matter of opportunity at this point now. Yeah, I mean, his, his numbers look really good. And yeah, I mean, especially with the the multi-year, um, you know, the, the three-year, $9 million contract, you know, getting him back onto the 40-man roster, I mean, that's going to, there, there's a lot more implications there. But I mean, he's he's been really good down there. And I think the thing for him was just getting on a regular schedule. Um, we talked about with some of the other guys. I mean, for him, I mean, he's he's been a starter for a number of years. And then with the Brewers, he was kind of pushed into the long reliever role when Freddie Peralta won the final spot in the starting rotation. Um, and then, you know, it's just kind of not knowing when you're going to pitch, not getting as much time to, to ramp up and throw. And um, I, I think that was a tough adjustment for him and being down there and being able to be penciled into the rotation and starting every five days, every six days, whatever it is. Uh, I think that certainly is going, has been uh, helping him. Yeah, I agree. I think, you know, when, when a guy's struggling at the big league level and he comes down, Eric Yardley talked about this in his own situation, and Craig Council mentioned it when, when Yardley was optioned way back when, that they, they want him to come down and pitch a lot, uh, just because that's where you get the improvement, the volume and the opportunity. And I think, to your point, I think that's been helpful for Lindblom, not just because he might prefer to be a starter, but then obviously with starting, you're out there longer, you throw more pitches, you can get more opportunity to refine your game than pitching once or twice a week, but only for a couple of innings at a time. Yeah, for sure. And that's, uh, it's been good for him. And now it's just kind of a matter of finding opportunity. I mean, for Lindblom, for Dylan File, for Alec Bettinger, uh, finding opportunity within this Brewers starting rotation may be uh, a little bit difficult to do uh, for a while with the guys that they have, but, um, they, they certainly are, are deserving of, of some opportunities. Uh, Jeff, before we let you go, I just want to ask you if there's any guys that, uh, you have seen this year that we did not ask about that perhaps fans aren't really thinking about as much that has really impressed you, um, or, or you think that we should be paying uh, more attention to that, that could be a potential help to the big league club. Yeah, I think, I mean, there are several guys, I think, I think, like like we were talking about earlier, AAA is a unique level, and I think there are a lot of guys at AAA who can get it done at the major league level. They just some guys just don't get 
a chance because there's not always enough room in the end, or they might get a chance. But, you know, the hardest thing sometimes is when a guy's an everyday guy at AAA, but at the major league level, you might go up and then you're the bench guy, you're the pinch hitter. And, and, and you, if you don't get enough repetition, like you're used to at AAA, uh, it's a, it's hard to produce. And I think the guys who can go up and do that are the ones who maybe get a chance to stick because then they, the team's like, oh, but all right, we got to give this guy even more chances than just being this or just being that. So so labels get hard to shake sometimes. And 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 that's just from the AAA mindset. I, I'm Obviously, the major league team has a lot of reasons why they've got guys in certain opportunities. I'm just kind of thinking in general of the challenges of being a, a guy who produces a triple a and trying to stick at the major league level. But um, I, you know, if there's a free Luke Barker hashtag, maybe there needs to be a, a free Jamie Westbrook hashtag. Yes. Um, yes. I mean, again, the, the, you talk about the, the word for me is consistency. And because I I've learned from talking to major league or to, to triple a managers about what the major league team wants, usually you know, at the, at the, at the ground level, the major league team wants to know, okay, when we call up this guy, we're pretty certain we know exactly what we're going to get. They want the consistent guys. They want the guys who they've got a good idea. Okay, in this role, in this spot, this guy's probably going to do this. Jamie Westbrook has the most consistent and, and most consistently quality at-bats down here at this level. And I talked about the Al LaBeouf barrel board earlier. He is always on the barrel board. He is probably leads the world in lineouts this year, and he still has a good batting average. Um, he, he hits it to all fields. He's got some quickness in his game. He's got some savvy in his game. He's a really confident guy. Um, you know, he's just, he's really sure of himself. He, he, and I think that I think that matters. He's a, he's got a strong mental game, I guess, is the way I would say it. Um, so, you know, that's just one guy that comes to mind. Dustin Peterson's had a really, really good year down here. You know, outfields get crowded. It's hard. It's hard to crack an outfield sometimes. Um, but, but, and Dustin can play first base too, but those are just a couple of guys that we've seen a lot of down here and are consistent. Uh, and Matt Lipka has been a really nice find too, an outfielder, uh, who's had a lot of double A AA and triple A time in his career, a few different organizations, and just consistently out there knowing what you're going to get from him, from the at-bats and the speed and a little bit of power. So there are a lot of guys we've seen this year who can who can flash or have a tool or, you know, uh, you see it in bits and pieces. But if I think consistency of, of what you see time and again from this guy, all right, he's stepping in, I know probably what's going to happen here. Those, those are a few guys who come to mind for me position player-wise. And Westbrook uh, got to spend some time at the Olympics for Team USA. Um, I know you got to talk to him a little bit about that, um, but for, I guess, some of our uh, listeners who didn't get to hear that, um, what did he have to say about that experience? Yeah, he, he was thrilled to get the opportunity. Uh, we were in Gwinnett when Rick Sweet called him in, and as Jamie said, uh, I thought I might be getting called up when I was told to go to the manager's <laughs> office. Like naturally that's where the AAA guy's mind is going to go. And he, he said, sweet quickly told me, look, you're not going to the big leagues, but you are going to the Olympics. And, you know, Westbrook was just not expecting that at all. And uh, he, he said he really enjoyed it. Um, and, you know, he was part of a silver medal winning team. 
Uh, I'd never held an Olympic medal, but when he rejoined us, we were in Louisville. He had the medal with him, and he was showing it around. He's like, I figured guys were going to want to see it. It was you know, cool for me to just hold an Olympic medal. I've never done that, uh, and, and Jamie's really proud of it. Um, it sounded like a pretty unique experience over there because they they were limited in where you know what they could do and where they could go. They were kind of like almost in their own little mini baseball bubble. He said we didn't we weren't allowed to go watch other events. He said, but he did get to you know be around some of the other athletes and other sports, and just said it was fun to um, kind of be in to observe other people who are really good at what they do, watch them do their sport. He, as he said, he's like, we're so locked into our baseball world. It's fun to watch somebody who's really great in another sport go about their business in that sport. So he enjoyed it. It was too bad that it was kind of a, a scaled back Olympics, obvious reasons, but it was just too bad that, you know, they, they didn't get the full kind of experience there in that sense, but still I, he, he, he loved it. And it's cool to, to say that, you know, there's an Olympian on your team. It's pretty neat. Yeah. Yeah. It really, it really is. And it's a, it's a really cool experience. And uh, it's hard not to think back to when Ben Sheets uh, was a Brewers minor mm-hmm. leaguer and ended up going to the Olympics and uh, doing the things he did uh, for team USA to win gold back in uh, 2000. Um, so I think that's all the time that we're going to have uh, for this week. Um Jeff, thank you so much, man, for, for hopping on and, and talking to us about, uh, about the Nashville Sounds and, and giving us your insight, man. It was, it was awesome. We really appreciate it. Well, I appreciate you guys for having me. Thanks a lot. I, I enjoyed it and uh, happy to chat again down the road. Yeah, we'd be happy to, to have you back on and uh, have another tour through the uh, minor leagues, which we're wrapping up here this week. You can follow Jeff on Twitter at Jeff Hem PBP. You can follow Matt on Twitter at MKE Matt 13 and I am at DGasper24. And of course, follow the uh, podcast account at coldbrew underscore pod and reviewing the brew. So that'll do it for us this week. Thanks a lot again to Jeff Hem. Uh, for Jeff, for Matt Carroll, I'm Dave Gasper. We'll see you next week for another episode of the Cold Brew Podcast.